Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Therapist Podcast. This is the podcast for business owners, solopreneurs, micropreneurs, freelancers, and self-employed folks who want support for riding the emotional roller coaster of running a business. This podcast is being recorded on lands that have been stewarded for 10,000 years and to this day by the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee nations. Land acknowledgements are calls to action from Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and this is your call to action to find out whose land you're on and share that with others. I'm your host, Shula Meet Bear Lev Tove, and I'm the Entrepreneur's Therapist. You can call me Shula for short. My pronouns are she, hers. I'm passionate about addressing and mitigating the entrepreneurial health crisis in an era of relentless stressors that can make you wanna lose your crap on the daily. I do this by supporting individual women entrepreneurs to care for their mental and emotional well-being, And I also speak and teach about the missing piece in our business foundations, in other words, mental health, through keynote speaking and educational workshops. So today I'm going to talk about the truth of the trauma-informed phrase. So, First, I want to say why I wrote this, why I'm sharing this podcast and where I'm coming from. I'm a master's level social worker. I've had professional training experience and supervision in treating trauma. And I'm also a certified clinical trauma professional. Also, I have coaching certificates from three different organizations. Now it's important for you to know that I no longer work with trauma in my practice. So I'm no longer seeking or serving clients who want to start their trauma healing journey. But because trauma is so pervasive among women, people of marginalized genders and of the global majority, it can come up in the work that I do with entrepreneurs. And when it does, it's within my scope of practice to address it as it relates to the issue at hand. Now, in my prior practice, I worked with a number of trauma survivor clients who had been harmed as a result of the work of other therapists who were not trauma trained and experienced. And I also worked with some other trauma survivor clients who had been negatively affected by working with other service providers who didn't understand trauma. So as a result, I've long been concerned about the proliferation of the term trauma informed and its variants in the online business space. And my belief is that if you use the word trauma in your marketing, it'll attract folks who've experienced trauma to work with you. And if your training is inadequate, harm might occur to you, your client, or your business. So my colleague, Nicole Lewis-Kieber, and I share this concern. And I want to mention that Nicole has a special program addressing this issue called Do No Harm. And even though I'm a trained, supervised, and experienced master's level therapist who's qualified to work with trauma survivors, uh, I took the program Do No Harm, and I highly recommend it. So, uh, and I should say that the links to everything I mentioned are going to be in the show notes. So where did this whole idea of trauma-informed care come from in the first place? Over a 30-year period, the concept of trauma-informed care arose out of social service, health, and mental health agencies coming to understand so many of their clients have been affected by trauma and that trauma responses can influence the behaviors of trauma survivors and that institutional responses to these trauma-based or trauma-driven responses 
constitute a barrier to access. So again, in the show notes, there are references to all the research supporting the assertions that I'm making here today. So in order to eliminate these barriers, these agencies began to identify how as organizations, not as individuals, they could provide what is called trauma-informed care. And work in this area has been documented in the literature, in the academic literature and research literature since at least 2009. Now in 1998, the publication of the ACES study also had an influence on the development of trauma-informed care. And there's a graphic in the show notes for you to refer to that shows the ACES triangle, which uh, demonstrates the mechanism by which adverse childhood experiences influence health and well-being throughout the lifespan. The ACEs and pair of ACEs data clearly demonstrate the connection between adverse childhood experiences and adverse community environments, in other words, trauma, and first of all, brain development, second of all, social, emotional, and cognitive impairment, third, disease, and fourth, disability, and fifth, the implications for early deaths for folks who've lived through ACEs. With these connections clearly made, it became even more important for social service, health and mental health agencies to appropriately serve their clients. So in the US in the 1990s, the Substance Abuse, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration took the lead with regard to policy and practice. They defined a trauma-informed approach as incorporating awareness of trauma and its impact into all aspects of organizational functioning. And in their work, they explicitly distinguish a trauma-informed approach from trauma-specific clinical interventions. The overall intention of the trauma-informed care movement was to educate service providers and organizations so that they could change their perspective when dealing with individuals from what's wrong with you, right? What is wrong with you? Haven't you often found yourself asking that question when people are behaving in ways that just aren't understandable to you? The, the, and the key shift from this perspective of what's wrong with you to what happened to you is pivotal in uh, internalizing a trauma-informed approach. Now this question, what happened to you, became popular through the book written by Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey but it was uh, originated by Gladys Noel Alvarez, who is a licensed uh, clinical social worker in the US. And Oprah's book came 13 years later after Alvarez's work. But despite the research and fairly widespread implementation of trauma-informed care in social service, health, and mental health agencies across the US and Canada, there is no national or global standard for certification as a trauma-informed organization, nor is there any standard for the meaning of terms such as trauma-informed, trauma-aware, trauma-sensitive, etc. Trauma-informed care then made its way into other settings, and in my awareness, trauma-informed trainings first came into the profession of yoga. From the health and social services sector, it entered the profession of yoga, and that's how it became um, it took on greater visibility into allied professions and complementary professions. 
Many yoga teachers became aware of the risks for trauma survivors in engaging in yoga classes and developed classes specifically to support trauma survivors. These trainings then expanded into yoga teachers who wanted to create safer spaces in classes that were not trauma specific and the Center for Trauma and Embodiment at the Justice Resource Institute is one leader in this area. With more popular recognition of the need to create safer spaces for trauma survivors, the meditation community also then became engaged. Programs were developed to train meditation teacher trainees and mentors in ways of supporting trauma survivors in the process of meditation. And David Trelevin is one of the prominent teachers in this field, and he happens to be Canadian, which as a Canadian, I feel happy about that. And again, all the references to this are in the show notes, to the, to the sources and resources that I mentioned are in the show notes. So trauma-informed care and mental health practice, what was going on there? So prior to the entry of trauma-informed care into the profession of yoga, the field of mental health research had been looking for many, many years into how to treat trauma. Pierre Janet, who lived from 1859 to 1947, was one of the first researchers in the field of dissociation and traumatic memory. And since that time, many, many, many practitioners and researchers have continued to develop treatment modalities for mental health clinicians to address the psychological, spiritual, and other harms caused by trauma. The terms that are applied to organizations aren't used within the clinical sphere to indicate an individual's training or lack thereof. For clinicians, standards of practice are set by their licensing and governing bodies. And you can't call yourself a specialist in any area of practice as a mental health practitioner without some sort of certification that is recognized by your governing or licensing body. So the standard for, tra the standard for training for clinicians is a specialized professional certification. And there are prerequisites to this specialized professional certification that usually include the completion of academic qualifications, usually a master's or doctorate in clinical practice, and also licensing requirements. All of the modalities now used by clinicians are taught by institutes that were set up to teach and certify clinicians in their use. These trainings are usually lengthy, they take place over many years, and require not only education, but also supervised implementation of the treatments with clients. Most of the training institutes require ongoing continuing education in order for the certification to be considered current, as do governing and licensing bodies. And most of the training institutes also ensure that their training standards meet the requirements of these governing bodies in order to qualify for these continuing education credits. Most clinicians are also required to consult when clinical issues arise and to refer to qualified practitioners when specific treatment issues arise that are outside their scope of practice, and there are penalties when these standards are not followed. So what's the problem with trauma-informed? Since about 2019, I've observed there's been a trend of non-clinical service providers online, like for example, VAs, graphic designers, life and business coaches, calling themselves trauma-informed. Now, none of what I've described above as the clinical requirements applies to these online business service providers. They're not clinicians. They're not situated within the ecosystem of social service, health, and mental health agencies. 
thus they have no regulation or oversight. And again, trauma-informed or other similar designations aren't regulated or overseen in any way, not even for social service, health, and mental health agencies. Anyone can say they are trauma-informed, but there are no guarantees that they actually are. So what it comes down to is caveat emptor, buyer beware. So this is how to address trauma-informed care in online business as a consumer. Where does this leave you? As someone who has possibly experienced trauma and who wants to evaluate a service provider's assertion that they're trauma-informed. So again, please keep in mind that there are no national or universal standards for trauma competencies or certifications for non-clinicians. That is to say, people who are not regulated mental health practitioners. So in order to help you understand the range of trauma-related skills from organizations and agencies through to clinicians, I have laid agency competencies across a developmental continuum of skills in order to help you understand the range of skills and be able to locate the practitioner you are interviewing along this continuum. And again, this is all laid out in the show notes, so you can take it in by listening now and then review later to capture the information. So the most, most basic level of trauma-informed care might be called trauma-aware. This means the practitioner is aware of the prevalence of trauma in the general population and therefore amongst their clients. And the practitioner is able to explain what trauma-informed care is and advocate for it. Trauma-sensitive can mean that the practitioner is aware of the prevalence of trauma and is building more knowledge about this topic. They are able to interact with trauma survivors in the course of mundane activities, that is to say day-to-day -day activities, not therapeutic activities, in ways that cause minimal harm. Trauma responsive can be understood as the initial stage of integrating trauma principles into work with clients. This skill can be understood as having basic or advanced levels of implementation. So even amongst trauma responsive now, there's a range. An example of trauma responsive skills could include grounding and orienting when a client is overtaken by trauma responses. Trauma informed can be understood as the direct practice of psychotherapy to address and heal trauma. And again, there are basic to advanced levels of implementation in this level. So for your reference, there was a framework called the Developmental Framework for Trauma-Informed Individuals that was developed by two researchers in 2019 who are working on behalf of the Department, in Health, Department of Health and Social Services in the state of Delaware. And the link is in the show notes. This document lays out in very detailed terms what they consider to be the skills and competencies across the levels. And they have laid this information out based on the professional literature it's the document I've used for the basis of the definitions above. Since there's no agreed upon standard of certification as a consumer, you'll need to ask questions to gather information when you're considering a program, training, or service provider. My colleague, Nicole Lewis-Kieber, and I have developed a list of questions to support you in being an informed consumer. And there's a PDF handout of this linked in the show notes. So you don't have to take notes. You can just listen now. 
So here are the questions to ask a trauma-informed service provider. How long have you worked with this issue directly with clients? Do you have supervision? What are your plans for ongoing skill building and continuing education? Have you had therapy yourself? Are you a trauma survivor? What is your motivation for using the trauma-informed designation or these words trauma-informed as part of your marketing or your business title? What work have you done around the role of intersecting oppressions and trauma? In the context of trauma, what's your understanding of the role of power dynamics between you as a service provider and a client? How do you define trauma? How do you know it's time to refer a client to a trauma-trained therapist? And what are your processes for referral to a therapist? Do you have a network of trained and experienced trauma therapists to whom you can refer your clients? And last but not least, how do you handle complaints and what's your dispute resolution process? So when you're interviewing a trauma-informed service provider of any sort, these are some questions that you can ask them. And then you can get curious about a certification. So if you're thinking about taking a certification yourself or you want to ask about someone's certifications, you can ask the following questions. And again, this is all in the show notes for you. Is anti-oppression training inherent in the trauma-informed certification program? Does the training address issues of consent? Does the trauma-informed certification training address how to repair harm when the practitioner, that is the person you're interviewing, or if you're thinking about a trauma-informed training yourself caused by you? Is the training educational only, or does it include supervised skills implementation? For example, role plays with feedback from a senior practitioner, recorded sessions submitted to a supervisor for feedback, etc. What are the qualifications of the trainers providing this trauma-informed certification? Are they supervised? And what is their experience working with trauma and trauma survivor clients? So those are the questions that you can ask about a certification. And here are the elements that should be included in any certification. So if you as a consumer are considering engaging in a certification, these are elements you should look for. Any trauma-informed certification should include information on what trauma is, including not only the diagnostic and statistical manual, but other ways of thinking about and considering trauma. It should address the types of trauma, individual, generational, intergenerational, relational, societal, and systemic. It should address oppressions and trauma. It should address adverse childhood experiences, both the ACEs and pair of ACEs material, and how trauma, and especially childhood trauma, can show up in our current day responses and behaviors. Any trauma-informed certification should also address how to recognize and respond to trauma responses. So here are some examples of the material. The material provided should be with the sole purpose of enabling service providers to recognize trauma responses in clients when they're occurring and to respond supportively and in the least harmful ways possible under the circumstances. 
So when you, as a non-clinician, are considering a trauma-informed training, this is only to allow you to recognize what's going on with clients and how to respond appropriately. So therefore, any of these programs should also include material on applying the information on trauma. So all you do is apply containing techniques that serve stabilization and safety and refer to a mental health practitioner. So the training in recognizing and responding to trauma as responses should include synchronous, real-time practice with feedback from a senior practitioner, as well as ongoing supervision in the use of these skills. Your training should address scope of practice. Because of the stigma associated with therapy and mental health, mental illness, as well as uh, issues of accessibility to therapy, people will often choose coaching or other programs when what they really need is therapy. And additionally, when people have experienced trauma, they may not even be able to recognize that what they need is therapy or some other form of support from a mental health professional. And so therefore any trauma-informed program for non-clinicians should include training on the concept of scope of practice. Participants should be led through work in which they clearly identify their scope of practice and they should identify what issues and types of interactions are outside the scope of their track of their practice. And they should be trained to identify them when they arise in the course of their work with clients. Issues of risk also need to be addressed because of the factors mentioned above, a client's personal safety can become an issue and safety can also arise because of the prevalence of partner abuse and especially of abuse by men toward their female intimate partners. And that could include a current intimate partner or a former part intimate partner. And so therefore trauma-informed training programs should include training on recognize, recognizing issues of risk and safety and on how to respond and refer appropriately. In particular, should the service provider become aware that their client may be considering taking their own life, they should be trained to recognize that and to respond if the risk is immediate and refer if it's not. If the program doesn't include that, I would recommend very strongly a, train, a training such as the Living Works ASSIST program. ASSIST stands for Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training. Again, the link is in the show notes. Also, folks should be trained in how to refer to other professionals. In other words, how to handle the referral conversation with the client and also to which professionals to refer under what circumstances and ongoing supervision. Any service provider claiming to be trauma-informed should be mentored, supervised by, or consulting with a senior trauma practitioner, meaning meeting with them formally on a regular basis. I would expect that the trauma-informed certification would provide a roster of appropriate professionals to provide this service. As a non-clinician, service providers can run into trauma-related situations with their clients and find themselves out of their depth very quickly. So having ongoing supervision of some sort will prevent the service provider from becoming overwhelmed and or responding in ways that cause harm. And I do want to note that even as a, a clinician, a, a certified and regulated mental health practitioner with a master's degree, I have had supervision 
for my entire career. I participated in it on a regular basis because it helps my mental health, but also you can't read your own label. And in discussing with my supervisor issues that come up in session, they support me in responding better. Uh, it's not about policing. It's about supporting ourselves and our clients holistically. So I'm not coming at this saying that only non-clinical folks should have supervision. I think we all should have supervision. And finally, this kind of ties in with what I was just saying. Any service provider claiming to be trauma-informed should also have an ongoing relationship with their own therapist. Because working with trauma, even indirectly as a service provider, is taxing and requires support. So I'm hoping that this information has helped you as a consumer, as a trauma survivor, as a um, online business owner who has concerns about the mental and emotional well-being of your clients. And uh, I'm inviting you to subscribe to this podcast because this is the podcast for entrepreneurs to support you in addressing the issues that can come up around mental and emotional well-being in your business. So thank you for listening. And please share with your friends you think to need to hear this. And please also subscribe to the podcast and rate and review it. That helps this podcast reach more stressed out entrepreneurs who need support, validation, and tools to help them care for their mental and emotional well-being as they run their business. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.